Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. My first guest of the morning joins us in the studio once a month. Bernard Callio comes in for a segment we call Drawn Out, where we talk about comic books in all their infinite variety and form. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. We draw those comic books out. We draw, we do, it's, like, it's like getting them into, into a larger conversation and getting them onto the airwaves. I think it's a, 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 it's a great place to put comics, a visual medium, on the radio. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just nice to sh- um, share love with an art form that I think is still sometimes belittled. Yeah. Um, well, there's the assumption that comics are for kids. Comics mm. are just superheroes. Mm. Um, and we're constantly pushing back against that to say, no, this is a, a rich and varied art form, just as there is great literature and bad fiction. Um, <laughs> There are great comics and very mediocre comics. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and it's the um, absolute pleasure of those of those incredible extremes in this form, and the voices I think that they uh, allow and and encourage. I think as as this very strange and beautiful medium whereby the pictures the pictures are a form of in inverted commas anyway writing they the pictures invite us in in the way that words in a in a in a um what do you call those things? Books um, invite us in, um, but in a very different way. Um, so yes, as usual, I have a, have a bursting uh, um, a bag of of interesting comic book things to talk about. So I'd like to start with because yesterday was International Women's Day, I want to speak um, about a great website I found called Women Write About Comics. So that's the words: womenwriteaboutcomics.com. And, uh, and the women who write about comics refer to this website as wah-whack, <laughs> which, is, which is the way that those words all, um, you know, when you, want, you acronymise them, it becomes wah-whack. Women write about comics. And this is a great website because, um, like it says on the, on, on the, on, on the wrapper, folks, uh, you, you've got women writing um, think pieces and reviews um, about comics. Uh, it was founded by um, a woman called Megan Purdy. And just a couple of the um, articles that I picked up when I was look, uh, browsing through Wawak, women write about comics.com. Um, there, a woman called Kari McCreary was reviewing a comic which, is a, which was a date, a disastrous date between Robin and Supergirl, <laughs> which is, um, sounds like a very funny comic, but the write-up was really great. And the great thing about these uh, write-ups is you get a couple of panels from the comic and you get the commentary from the reviewer. Um, so you can go sort of go, oh, yeah, um, I could read that comic, or I don't need to. <laughs> I've sort of got the sense of it. Um, and another really interesting review of a of a looks like a zine from a from a woman called Nicole Gu G O U X from L A, a zine called Rituals, which is a, 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 a booklet of images of people who are ready to go out. So it's it's, it's a book of pictures, sort of a comic of of that. Those 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 practices that you do before you're about to head out into the into in, in, into the night into the in, into into the world, um, and uh, this woman Nicole Gu um, is 
is a maker of art for all sorts of um, publishers, Simon and Schuster, Dark Horse. She's done some Bat Girl stuff for DC. But she's got a book coming up, and, then, and again, this is Nicole Gu, G-O-U-X, called Pet Peeves, which is about a dog adopted by a musician called Bobby who is cute but is also stealing her life. Still. <laughs> So, look, I, I just, um, you know, it's one of those uh, great rabbit holes. Um, but really, I suppose, yeah, the, the, the ethos of this, of this website um, is, is, is great, I think, and, and really gives a, another, another uh, voice on, on comics, which can or has been historically quite a male-dominated sort of um, space. But, it, that, but this is changing. And this is one of the things that uh, Richard and I have been reporting on, I guess, over the last few years, getting onto a decade of talking about comics on this radio show, um, is that changing, that, diverse, that diversification of makers, of readers, uh, which is really, really interesting and thrilling, I would say. Um, I've just been uh, looking at womenwriteaboutcomics.com. Oh, you've been on WAWAC. Uh, while you've been chatting, yes. and I'm, there's already stuff on there that I'm going. I want to read this in detail rather than just skim it yes. uh, as yes. part of to add to the conversation. There's an uh, an interview with the legendary uh, editor Karen Berger, for yes. example. Yes, yes, yes. Um, who played such a pivotal role in I don't know the British invasion of comics in the 80s and the establishment of Vertigo as an imprint at DC and so forth. Very, a very important voice in terms of. Uh, growing comic, comics up, making a space for for that um, uh, for the diversification, even even within the big two, you know, Marvel and DC. But yes, I think Berger is and an, a, a crucial um, per person, yeah, and and an illustration of how an editor can really change a culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So really interesting looking website. Thank you. Womenwriteaboutcomics.com. Okay, so let's get a little little bit localer and um, and. Talk about a, a a comic book competition for young people. So if this is for this has been set up by uh, uh, libraries in in um, Melbourne. Uh, pardon me, in Melbourne, and, and it's called Picture This, the comic book competition. And so uh, you go to your library, your library dot com dot au, and then backslash picture um, hyphen this. Uh, yourlibrary.com.au, picture this. And this competition is for kids and teens, so prep to year 12, so up to 18 years old. And you get to um, submit six, maximum six pages of your comic um, in uh, digital or paper, paper ways. And they, the, the, the picture this um, competition, is it, is it Yarra Valley, Valley Libraries? Can you, can you see that there, Richard? Eastern Regional Thank Libraries. Thank you. Eastern Regional Libraries. Thank you very much. Um, is it's it's open to anybody in Victoria, any any um in, in that age grade, in that age range, uh, prep to year twelve, and it's Dean Rankine, the great d- local comic book maker. Dean Rankine is sort of the uh, laureate of it, or the 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 the, the, the image um, make the poster boy for it. He does work for Simpsons and Riverdale Diaries, and he illustrates Timmy the ticked off pony books, which are written by Magda Zvansky. Um and so it's him and Sabina Will who's a librarian at the at the Hillsville Library have, start, have done this. So the, um, what do you call it, the deadline? The deadline is March 31, Richard? Yes. 
Something. Yes, yes, good. Friday the 31st of March. Thank you very much. Um, no matter where you live in Victoria, so you don't have to be in the catchment area for the Eastern Regional Libraries, but uh, you do need to be under 18. Uh, and yes, you can enter entries as a PDF, JPEG, PNG, or on physical paper to be scanned in at the library. But you can't draw them on your own hand and submit your own hand. That would be that would be that's not one of the entry. Um, it's not that's not there as part of the entry um, op- no. options. So let's picture this: a comic book competition, uh, welcoming young creators into the space of making comics. Um, uh, the URL again was www.yourlibrary.com.au/picture. This. Great. Um, another piece of just of, of an interesting snippet of comics news. I don't know if you uh, remember, Richard, but there was a rather uh, disastrous uh, musical adaptation of Spider-Man, which um, uh, Julie Taymor helmed uh, um, at, and back in 2010, I think. Spider- Spider-Man Turn Back the Dark. Turn Off the Dark. Turn Off Very the good, dark. very good. So it was a bit of a car crash. Um, but the guy who was the Marvel comics writer, Brian Michael Bendis, who's a... Um, Quite a quite a famed, not just writer but also world creator, editor sort of man in the Marvel universe, um, and and maker of other comics. That is to say, outside of the Marvel world, he's just uh, making a comic at the moment, um, which is called Fortune and Glory, the musical, and it is a um, autobiographical comic book of his involved because he got pulled into this sort of swirling Titanic-like. <laughs> Undertaking, um, so you can read about this on his I think called the Substack, whatever that is. Um, so Brian Michael Bendis um, dot com dot uh, sorry dot Substack dot com. So or you can look up Jinx World, J I N X World, um, um, which gives you um, a, a, a link to this to this. Um, yeah, this autobiographical comic about his involvement in the comic book adaptation for the Broadway stage. Uh, With music and lyrics by Bono <laughs> and The Edge, no wonder it was doomed to begin with. Anyway, just lovely, lovely stuff. Anyway, I'd like to end by talking about a comic which just blew my mind, uh, a local comic which blew my mind when it, when it came across, when I came across it. So um, this is a comic called Crime Scene Australia and uh, blazoned across the cover. So it's a comic book format uh, comic and blazoned across the cover is the past isn't dead, it's not even past. And you've got a, a lovely colonial, white-looking colonial sort of woman pouring a cup of tea which is actually blood and some heinous uh, acts going on in the background. This is a, definitely a comic for, for adults and it's advertised so on the front, um, MA plus 15. The back cover says it has a blurb which ends with Welcome to the History Wars. And this is a remarkable comic, I think, because it does something which... Richard was talking before about the way that some comics are sort of considered sometimes as, as kids stuff. They are also sometimes considered as outlaw stuff or underground stuff. And this is this was really kicked off, I guess, in the '60s with a lot of those underground um, comics with an X. Comics with an X, and this is comics with an X, but it's comics with an X. Uh, uh, a collaboration between. Charlie Hill Smith, sort of the main um, driver of this project, Robbie Thorpe, the Aboriginal activist and 3CR presenter, and it's really taking the story stories of colonisation, of genocide in Australia, so incredibly 
serious searing sort of material, but it's putting it through the blender, the, the, the machine of horror comics. And I would say particularly horror comics of the, of, of the 1950s sort of feel, which, which are, were um, sort of um, gleeful almost in their, in their play with the horror of the, of the, the situations they were depicting. So it's, it's, it very, it's a very comics... I, I would say this is only possible in comics given the, the history that you can, of, of comics where you can use this, this form to play with such serious and such terrible uh, 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 stories. And in this book, this is the first of a, of a series, um, we have a character um, who his name is Ernie Grant and he's a, a, an Aboriginal man and he's presenting a TV show called Crime Scene Australia and they're going to various sites in Australia which talk about the massacres that have occurred there. And as the comic book develops, as per a, comic, as per, sorry, as per a horror comic, the past, as the cover says, it's not, it's not past, it's not, it's not dead, it's not even past, starts to come out, out of the ground. So it becomes a haunting. So it uses, again... It uses the form of comics and of underground comics. I've spoken to Charlie about this, and he, he refers to it also as a Gonzo uh, comic. Um, he has there's a there's a moment in it when so that the, yeah again the conceit of it is that this show this TV show is being presented, but we as the readers of the comic are seeing the world that swirls around the around that production of that of that TV show. Um, at, at one point, um, the 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 main character, Ernie Grant, is talking, um, presenting on the TV and he says, ah, the 1788, the first fleet was a steampunk trip to Mars. And that's the sort of tone of this comic. You know, it's, it's, it's verbally very, um, very, very, it's got a lot of play in it. Um, and, you know, Ernie Grant comes up against much stronger uh, Aboriginal protesters and uh, um, who who accuse him of pandering to white uh, versions of Australians Australia's history? So yeah, I, I it's again it's a very adult comic, um, um, but I think it's using the form to uh, investigate these these difficult, haunting problems that we that we have and drawn in a and inked particularly in a, a, a almost a lurid style totally as lurid. befitting that uh, echoing of horror comic tropes and so forth indeed indeed uh, so lots of purples and greens and and vivid kind of vivid yeah really vivid tones mm. so instead of a, a dry historical take for example uh, even at a glance you can see what this is striving to do and the the kind of visual energy it's injecting into the pages yeah. of CSA, Crime Scene Australia, uh, number one, Terror Nullius. T E R R O R, Terror Nullius. Yeah. So, yes. Intriguing. Very intriguing. Very intriguing. Very. Um, sort of, yeah. I Where mean, would people pick that up? Well, I do know, and, and you know, I, I work at readings, but I do know that we've stocked them there at readings. And it, it, Charlie has also told me that it's available as a Kindle edition uh, online as well. So that's um, Crime Scene Australia, edition number one, Terra Nullius. I look forward to uh, getting my hands on a copy and watching it unfold. No probs, no probs. Okay, so. Um, 
I will see you in a month's time. You will, Richard. And at which will... point we will swap some comics. We will, because yeah. I have a comic on my coffee table meant for you that I also meant to bring in last month. Ah, okay, so, yeah. okay. You're stringing me along. You're stringing me along, Watts. Um, uh, but I look forward to that. And um, yeah, get get out there, read some comics, enter the picture this uh, competition if you're in the age range, and see you next time. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. My next guest joins us on the line. Adette England is an artist and photographer who joins us to talk about her exhibition Dairy Character, currently showing at the Centre for Contemporary Photography uh, in George Street in Fitzroy. Adette, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, as soon as I heard about the uh, the concept of this exhibition, I was instantly intrigued. It's looking at um, growing up on a dairy farm in rural South Australia uh, and drawing perhaps some, what may be for some people, uncomfortable parallels between the way young women are raised and the way cattle are raised. That's right, that's right. And as someone who grew up in that environment and didn't know what I didn't know, like there's things that you're exposed to as a kid that you take for granted as being normal and just the way things are. And then when you separate yourself from that environment, you no longer live there, you think, wow, I saw and heard and experienced some really strange and unusual things. What kind of things, uh, if we're, because for people who are not familiar with the environment of a dairy farm, um, it's, it probably yeah. feels like such a completely different world. What, talk to us a little bit about the kind of experiences we're talking about here. So growing up girl on a dairy farm, especially in the community that I was raised in, which is just outside of Manham, it was, you know, it's very small, it's isolated. Um, men and women have really distinct roles um, that we carry out. The men do the work and they love their land and the women support the men's work and they love their men. Um, but women are required to sort of step up and perform male labour when the men say that they need help with things, you know, out in the pastures. And so... We saw and did so many things that were about, on the one hand, this kind of helping and backbreaking work, but at the same time being super invisible and not getting the same credit or kudos or visibility, perhaps, um, that the men did. And, you know, women were trained. Like, my, I was expected as a very young girl to pitch in to not only help with cooking and cleaning and sewing and, and looking after other kids, um, but at the same time being on the back of the motorbike um, or, you know, rounding up the cows or hosing down the dairy or shoveling hay or any kind of labour, um, you know, we were, we were expected to help and to pitch in. Yeah. Now, the exhibition that you've created that's exploring some of these ideas and themes and experiences, uh, it's a range of work, so some recent photography, but you're also using family snapshots, found imagery as well, to, to talk to us about bringing these different elements together to create what is perhaps you could describe almost as a, as a group portrait. Yeah, that's a lovely phrase to describe it. I mean, it started when I'm, I'm snoopy, you know. You don't invite me to your house because I'll basically go through your medicine cabinet <laughs> looking for dirty secrets. I, I went to my... My parents still live in my birth town in Murray Bridge and I was visiting them a few years ago and went snooping in the understair cupboard and I found my dad's cow manual 
Um, it's a very special kind of book. It's called a Confirmation Assessment Manual. And it's given to registered dairy farmers, not just in Australia, but all over the world. And it tells them how to rank and rate and assess the physical strengths and weaknesses of their dairy cows. And I opened it up, and what struck me was that the language was very sexist, very derogatory to the body. And the pictures in it, the photographs, were very lo-fi, really graphic, heavily cropped, and very much focused on the parts of a cow that the dairy farmer should care about. And they were all the reproductive and productive parts. You know, it's all about butterfat content and about having more female calves. So there's lots of udders and teats and vaginas and legs and buttocks. And in this wondrous book, and very graphic, very problematic, um, but very alluring to me, became this foundation piece for building this story of dairy character, of what it was like to grow up girl in this very male-dominant environment. And so using that, that book became, this confirmation assessment book became the basis for building the book and building the exhibition where I started using these graphic pictures from the manual and splaying them across the wall at, you know, two metres by three metres. And then onto those overlaying pictures of young girls, in this case, my daughter, who did not grow up rurally, but when we go back there to visit this dairy farm that my parents loved and lost, she runs around and thinks it's the most magical place ever and, and pretends to be a cow. And I started photographing her, not knowing why I was doing it. But as I was pulling Dairy Carrot together, realised that these pictures of her bent over um, and shielding herself from the sun were really important to add to the story. And then into those family snapshots of, of what it was like growing up in this place from the mid-1970s to the late uh, 1980s and into the 1990s when we lost the farm. And as you say, the images of the dairy cattle from the book that you discovered, uh, they're, they're cropped, they're so focused, and you've adapted that process uh, in terms of some of the framing of the, the, the more uh, contemporary images you've taken. That's right. I wanted to focus in on the cropped body and the parts of then the female human body um, that have a similar kind of relationship to production and reproduction. And so the pictures reflect, the pictures that I took reflect that, but I also wanted them to be ones where you're sort of looking up so that the angle toward the face and toward the body is one of majesty rather than one of looking down and doing this kind of labour where you're constantly bent over. So the, the more contemporary pictures um, with the young girl are this looking up and this heralding towards the sun. And at the same time, you know, her body, she's, she's shielding herself from the sun as this gesture of, like, see, giving herself a good kind of dark. You know, I was terrified of the dark as a kid. I thought it was the scariest thing ever. And so a lot of my pictures of the young girl, she's shielding herself from the sun, protecting herself, but she's also giving herself a good kind of dark and a good kind of safe space where she's not seeing the things and being exposed to to death and the great deal of, um, you know, carcasses and all sorts of things that, as a, as a child, you, you, you assume that that's what everyone sees at your age, and, in fact, that's not always the case. And then the found images as well, so not just the, the found images from the book, but other, other snapshots and photos. Uh, for example, there's uh, uh, a shot of... It looks like uh, definitely something from the 
from the 50s or 60s, perhaps, somebody hanging onto the side of a car. Um, talk to us about some of those yeah. images as well and where you found them. Are these, are these uh, family snapshots from your own family that you've repurposed, or have you been scouring secondhand bookshops and op shops going, ooh, an old photo <laughs> album, let me see what I can use? <laughs> well, I'm always doing that. Most of the photographs, the family snapshots or images taken from family albums that I have, as soon as you put one photograph next to another, you change the conversation and you change the context. And that's what's so lovely about working in exhibition form as opposed to book form is that the, when they speak to each other, they, they create a very different kind of conversation. When they're in a family album, they do something different again. And so raiding the family archives was one thing and made the conversation personal and autobiographical and, and complicated. But at the same time, there were some images like pictures of... There was a picture of an old truck um, that wasn't my father's truck but looked an awful lot like it. You know, there are things photographically on the farm that we didn't have time to photograph or couldn't afford to. Photography was so expensive. You know, when my mum shot a roll of film, it probably took a year to fill those 24 or 36 frames. Um, because there just wasn't time to make those kinds of pictures. So there are pictures in there that I've had to scour and look really hard for going, that's the picture that I want, and it marries with an image that I have in my head of what that environment or what that object was like. Um, and the truth is that probably it's not exactly like that because memory is so slippery and so unreliable. In terms of presenting an exhibition like this, given some of the... the, uh, the the ideas that you're exploring, that juxtaposition between the the socialisation of a young woman on on a farm versus the uh, the, the the matter of fact uh, approach to uh, to dairy cattle, for example, um, uh, and the the almost kind of I don't know the, the kind of casual sexism uh, that is being kind of that is aimed at both. Talk to us about what kind of conversations did you have with your family around? utilising and using family photos. Uh, was Were there any tricky or uncomfortable conversations that you had to have? There were along the line. I think my parents have been most generously supportive of my whims and wishes as an artist. I mean, the fact that I have sent them back to this farm for years and years and asking them to wear negatives on the soles of their shoes while they troop around this precious land. I mean, this was their livelihood that they lost. And despite all that, you know, certainly I've understood it better since becoming a parent, is that you'll almost do anything for your kids in supporting them. And the people that we are oftentimes most comfortable being critical of is our family because usually it's done with a hand of care and love rather than with a stick. Um, and so the conversations that we've had have more been around, they've been more about the whimsy of, of the why, like why is this something that I can't let go of? And I think it's because it's not just a story about me, it's a story about the way women still grow up. It's a way of me being able to use autobiography to talk about much bigger issues about power and education and patriarchy and things that I'm using my experience to talk toward rather than talk about. Um, and all of our converse, all family conversations that we have happened around a kitchen table as they've always had. And so it becomes one of, of care and having a biscuit and a bit of a laugh and, and also saying, why is this necessary? So they've been good. They've actually been really helpful conversations as an artist to have as opposed to just as a, a daughter or a niece or, or a granddaughter. Yeah. Now, 
as well as the exhibition uh, dairy character, which is on now at CCP in Fitzroy until the 9th of April, you have produced a book, uh, a photo book, uh, exploring the same topic and the same theme. What was, uh, and you, you did say earlier that an exhibition is easier in some ways to, to curate rather than the book. So is the exhibition that we're seeing in Fitzroy, is, is this kind of like the, I, the idea of the book but distilled down into its purest form? It's definitely a distilled version and it was really wonderful actually working with the curator, Catelyn, um, to think about how this was going to translate into a physical space because a book is one kind of space and a, arguably a much more individual and single space. You know, if you're sitting on your sofa or on the train or on the bus, you enter this new kind of world because you are invested into this book and so your mind starts to dream up other pictures and other stories as you're reading it. And the book that I made for Dairy Character also includes 20 short stories about what it was to grow up. So it provides all this additional text that the exhibition does not. Going into a, a space, an exhibition space, the space that the CCP is, a, is glorious, it was, it's long and narrow, it's very vaginal, and you can only move so far back to see these enlargements that come from this confirmation assessment manual where you've got the pictures of the backs of cows and udders and teats. And so you have to move your body in a really unusual way to actually let these images almost wash over you as a viewer and then go in really, really close to see the snapshots and the family images that exist on the opposing wall. So it's like navigating a body and a space and trying to understand what you're being surrounded by. So I wanted that experience of being in that kind of environment, growing up on a farm, feeling constricted and restricted, seeing things and not seeing things, and then assuming, like, when you look at the sun and you look away and you suddenly got all these spots in front of your eyes. I wanted it to be a little bit like that. And so working with um, Catelyn and with with um, uh, Daniel at the, the centre was terrific in helping to realise that translation of what sits in a book object onto the wall in some small way. Adet, I know you're doing a Zoom discussion online soon, uh, coming up in, what, a, a week or two, to talk about uh, some of the themes of the exhibition. Uh, and that conversation is uh, happening together with uh, Carol J. Adams, who's written about the sexual politics of meat. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Carol Adams' book is one that I read reread back in 2020 while I was right at the start of putting Dairy Character together. And it, there is so much content in that book talking about vulnerability and veganism and the relationship of the human body to the animal body, the kind of language that we accept around meat and animal bodies and how that translates back. Um, so I'm really excited to be to have this kind of what I hope will be a really um, complicated and enlightening conversation about thinking about different kinds of bodies and how we treat them, how we talk about them, what kinds of assumptions we make about them. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, happening on Monday the 27th of March at 12pm uh, Australian uh, Eastern Time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you can go to the CCP website to book tickets. Uh, so that's uh, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, time is... Uh, midday, uh, 
but uh, people from all over the world may be tuning in, which is one of the, the great things about uh, the, the online discussion that we're f we had to adapt because of COVID, but turns out they're often really useful. So for more info about that, ccp.org.au. CCP is the Centre for Contemporary Photography, located at 404 George Street, Fitzroy, and... Uh, uh, the exhibition, Dairy Character, by Odette England, is showing until the 9th of April, as are uh, a few other exhibitions at the CCP as well. Uh, CCP open Wednesday to Sunday from 11am until 5pm. Entry is free. And the website again, ccp.org.au. Odette England, thank you very much for the pleasure of your company this morning. Thank you. It's been wonderful. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. If you're in Melbourne, you may well have noticed that the guide for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival has been released. Posters are popping up everywhere. So the festival itself uh, kicks off on the 29th of March, runs through until the 23rd of April. But I thought we'd get in early with uh, a couple of interviews and shows that I've uh, that I I have seen and can recommend, or performers whose bodies of work I uh, admire and enjoy. One such person is Damien Callanan, who joins us on the line now. Damien, how's it going? Very well, Richard. Now, you've been rather busy of late because you've just finished a season of your show Double Feature in Adelaide at the Adelaide Fringe. And before that, I think you were at uh, the Perth Fringe. Yes, so I did back-to-back uh, -back runs of Double Feature. And while I was in Adelaide during the last week, I was cramming a different show into my head. <laughs> Uh, which I find myself now doing, touring regional Victoria with uh, the one-man play Nuke, the John Newcomb story. So I'm in sunny Bendigo um, doing a spoke tour from here. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Nuke for a moment because uh, just looking at the, the list of gigs you've got, so you've got, what, performances in Bendigo, Colac, Drysdale, Wyoming, which uh, is not in the USA, but is in uh, New South <laughs> Wales. Uh, then you're heading on yeah, to... Yeah, Gosford, essentially. Okay, cool. Because uh, I was going, I have no idea where Wyoming is, so I'm glad it actually said New South Wales on, on your website. But uh, this is a play, it's a one-man play, written and directed by Kieran Carroll, who I know as a poet and as a playwright. Talk to us about what it's like to perform as... I guess somebody who's a, a figure as iconic as Nuke. Well, the the third um, wheel to Kieran's car is he's actually a tennis coach as well, and he played on the satellite circuit back in the day. So if you put those three things into um, AI, you get Nuke. It's kind of a beautifully lyrical um, rendering of this iconic Australian. Um, yeah, look, my first go at playing a real person other than in, you know, TV sketches. Um, and, um, yeah, you kind of have to... Oh, look, I'm not an impersonator, so I've just tried to embody uh, embody him as much as I can and um, come up with a version that people seem to uh, quite like. I've had people say, I couldn't see you as new. I mean, I said, you as new. I'm like, yeah, you can be new. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's very interesting. 
Yeah, I, I, but I'm also fascinated by the fact that, as you say, you were performing Double Feature, a, a very personal uh, comedy show, uh, while trying to learn Nuke at the same time. Uh, that's a fair bit of multitasking. I hope you've not at no point are the, are the two blurring into each other. That could be a bit weird. No, no, that, that doesn't happen. It's just, um, it's just harder to shove a different show in your head. And I have done this show before, but it's three years. So we, it first came to light during the Australian Open in 19, uh, 2019. And, um, and then we had, we did a few extra shows and then the plan was for it to start touring in 2020. So this shows uh, the tennis game has been kicked down the road a bit. So all the parts were in my head. It was like going to the shed and realising someone had taken the car apart. Had to put, pull it all back together again. Uh, it's come together kind of remarkably well, but I think you become more agile when you're performing. Um, and uh, it's not unusual. Like I'm, I'm most, A lot of comedians are often particularly doing a show at Adelaide, but then they're writing a new show for Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, I, I had one year where I did four different shows. I went from Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, comedy festivals. I was doing a different show at each one. Only one of those was new. That was the hard one. But, um, yeah, it, is, it becomes part of your skill set to um, keep all these uh, drawers open. Now, one of the things that intrigues me about Nuke, too, is the kind of places you're performing in. So, uh, yes, in Bendigo, you're at the Capitol Theatre um, uh, in the engine room, the, yeah. the, the smaller venue there. But you've been doing uh, country town halls and RSLs, for example, which must feel like a, an appropriate place to be talking about a, a tennis legend. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, Bendigo in particular, the Capitol Theatre, do a wonderful spoke to us. So they have about half a dozen different venues that they take shows out to. So the Capitol Theatre augmented. They, they come out and they'll bump in staging and lighting and so on. It's like the Bort Memorial Hall we were in the other night. The um, the lights on the stage look like they've been there since 1921 when the building was built. Um, and Bort is great because it's got the lawn tennis courts directly across the road. They have a massive lawn tennis tournament every Easter. Um, and as a result, they, were, they actually festooned the room with... Um, tennis nets and they were serving strawberries and cream afterwards. There's a real tradition of the lawn tennis, you know, Australia of days gone by. So, um, yeah, so it's really delicious to do the show in that environment with um, people who are quite passionate about that old world. Yeah. Now, speaking of old worlds, let's segue from Nuke, which uh, uh, people can go to your website, damiancallinan.com.au, and just click on the gig guide. And so if you do live um, in, I don't know, Colac, Drysdale, uh, if you're streaming us uh, from yeah. country Victoria, you can check out the dates for that show. But uh, let's and, uh, and It's actually touring in 2024 as well, so... If, uh, if there's nothing near you, uh, be warned there's going to be a massive national tour um, next year. So. Great. Well, let's uh, segue now to talking about Double Feature, which you're bringing back to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. You opened it at the Comedy Festival last year. Why the decision to remount the show rather than write something new? Is it partly just because you've been bloody busy? Oh, look, I tend to get into a cycle now of creating a new show every two years. Uh, and usually starting at the Marvel Comedy Festival. But, yeah, busyness is part of it, and also I'm touring it. It only did Melbourne last year. It didn't do Adelaide or Perth or any of the other festivals. 
uh, and there's a regional arts Victoria tour happening. So it just kind of felt right to do it again. And also last year's tour, last year's season got savaged by COVID, and I lost about you know a third of my dates. Um, and it was being really well received, but you know you can't get those dates back. So, and I wanted to do it in a you know no offence to the uh, Greek Centre, but essentially you know it's a function room. So to do it on the, a beautiful Malthouse Theatre stage, um, it just kind of made sense. It certainly does make sense, and it's certainly also going to be... I'm looking forward to seeing it again, to see how the show has... It's that classic thing with a new show. You kind of you come back to it, and it, the way it settles into itself yeah. and, and fine-tunes itself is a... It's, a delight to, to, to re-watch something and see how it's grown. Talk to us, though, about the, the concept for Double Feature because this is, for you, a very personal show. Yeah, so the, the brief story goes that um, on the night of my, of my dad's funeral, which was about four years ago now, we found um, in a box full of what we dubbed Dad's retirement diaries... Um, we found this little brief pamphlet-sized diary and as I sort of flicked through the pages, we realised it was written by Mum and it was written in 1946 and it charts the beginning of their relationship. And it's quite isolated. We don't have any other diaries of Mum's. We just have this... Uh, there's a few little kind of notebook ones from around the same time, but but, but just notate things. There's no extrapolation. So um, that night I started reading out to my siblings and it was and mum had passed and it was um it was just beautiful to re-picture them as these you know as young lovers in a and beautiful social document of life of the 1940s uh so kind of straight away even though i was still you know obviously in the middle of grief i kind of went it'd be really lovely to do something with this uh and then down the track um I kind of came up with the idea of what if I combined Mum's 46 diary with Dad's um, Dad's two. There's 23 volumes of his retirement diaries. Well, the man lived a very rich and varied life, but uh, you know he was a war veteran, gifted sportsman, uh, school principal, amateur actor. But he chose to diarise the least interesting part of it by some margin. <laughs> um, and it was yeah. So I kind of came up with the idea of creating a bit of a split narrative. So the show itself is me pitching what I think Mum's um, diary would be like if it was a Hollywood romance, romantic blockbuster um, and then create the split narrative of going back and forth to them in their later years. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about that setup is uh, the, the Hollywood romance uh, aspect works because uh, in her diaries your mum talks about going to the going to the pictures for example so she's seeing the the, yeah. almost, the, the kind of films that you're then kind of bringing to life uh, with the show but what's also fascinating is that uh, your mum was dating a couple of people and you use the show uh, you, you set yourself up as a bookmaker effectively kind of going oh now what are the odds on uh, on this yeah. on this flash fellow so yeah, when we discovered the diary, we had no idea that you know Mum is a very attractive woman, and we knew that there are other people in play when she met Dad, but had no idea how popular she was. So um, the more I read it, it's just like new names just keep popping up, and in, so I came up with the device, and it's also a, you know great storytelling device of obscuring who she ends up with 
So in the when I'm telling the 1946 story, it's not clear who who out of all these suitors she'll end up with. And then when I move into you know the uh, the later years, we don't hear Dad's name. So that was it was a nice fun device keeping that kind of keeping some of the rules of you know movie storytelling and keeping that within the show. Uh, it becomes obvious towards the end who I'm championing because obviously I want my own father to win, otherwise I won't exist. But, um, but that was really fun to play with. And it's all very innocent, but the crowd, once you know, particularly once we start, I reveal the bookmaker's board, um, they can't quite believe what's happening. But um, they really enter into it. People start yelling out the odds, you know, <laughs> when a story occurs. Um, or, and I'm kind of going up and down, and there's one guy in particular who... Is, uh, he's hanging around like a bad smell, and um, he looks like he's the favourite, but uh, eventually uh, he falls off the perch. Given that both your uh, parents have passed away, how, can it, how much does this show keep them alive for you, in a way? Yeah, it's a really lovely question. Um, it's really lovely telling their story, and keeping that alive and it's not in a mawkish way but once I had all the pieces to this I thought this is a really interesting story and people do really relate to it and it's very relatable because we all go through um, losing our parents for either in, you know um, particularly my generation they're either going through it or about to go through it and and this story is also without going into the full details the way their relationship ends is extraordinarily tragic um and that comes up, and I hadn't realised until I was writing the show that Dad had diarised the week of Mum's um, accident. And yeah, it's um, it it's kind of important to tell that part of the story, but also you know in the show I then return to the romance and um, bring bring them back to life as we discover them when we first discovered the diary. So it's quite it's quite revealing and it's quite stark and people are surprised by how much I reveal and how much I emote during that. Um, and I'm you know I'm an actor I know how to um, I know how to access grief in performance. But um, when you're reading the words that your father wrote about the the tragic death of his wife, um, yeah, I don't have to do much channeling, Richard. <laughs> that I can easily believe. What. I found fascinating watching the show. Uh, also, Damien was the you have you have made very personal shows before Spaznuts, for example, which was kind of what two thousand and six, a, a kind yeah. of, uh, and I think your first foray into autobiographical theatre. But then you've also uh, more recently, twenty fourteen, yeah, done the Lost World War One Diary, for example. So in in some ways, Double Feature feels like a a coming together of all the some of the the different tropes and ideas you've explored throughout your comedic career. Yeah, that's right. I mean, through the Lost Bubble One Diary and the merger as well, I've kind of learnt and lent into the idea that storytelling isn't always one note, that um, good stories are not all funny and they're not all sad. Um, and even within this, within the tragedy, as, as I reveal them in this show, I reveal some of the you know the black humour that we use to deal with deal with that and it's interesting watching an audience kind of cope with that going oh it's, we've only just found this out you've got to you've got to, you've got to nurture your audience through that stuff when you've 
hit them with such unexpected news, even though they don't know the people. But by the time they get to the tragedy in the show, people have said to me, we've fallen in love with your parents, which is such a lovely thing to hear, but also you have to care for your audience through that. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I don't necessarily think about every story that I write and think, oh, how can I make this a bit sad too? <laughs> I'm not... I just believe in the, in, in truthful storytelling and... Um, and when I wrote this, I, there was elements again. How am I going to make this funny? How am I going to make? Or how am I going to reveal the different aspects? But what tends to happen when you have those quite diverse emotions in a show is it actually highlights so that the funny stuff becomes even funnier. Um, and then in relief, the sadder stuff they begin to feel it as if they're part of the family. It certainly also demonstrates how versatile comedy can be. Uh, I, I think for people who perhaps don't see a yes. lot of comedy, they just think comedy is stand-up and that's all there is to it. But as you demonstrate in Double Feature, which uh, is on at the Malthouse Theatre in the Tower, uh, and I'll give all the, the dates and details shortly, but, uh, yeah, you demonstrate just how versatile comedy can be as an art form. Absolutely. Yeah, and... Look, yeah, yeah, particularly if you come to the show without any prior knowledge, what, you know, some people get completely thrown by. But usually what happens is people go, oh, that's not what I'm expecting, but I'm so pleased with that full experience. Um, and people do, you know, people do react to performance that moves, moves through the gears, if you like. And this does it quite organically because it's based on real-life stories. Um, but there's a you know there's a craft to how you how you do that and how you um, how you reveal the things that also take the pressure off and release release valves for the audience so that they're not um, they're, they're kind of laughing till they cry and then crying um, within a heart. But the funniest part of the show happens just before the tragic reveal, which is quite cruel of me. But, um, <laughs> you monster. It's also how life happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's also how life happens, you know. Like, you have no, we have no idea when you're going to get that phone call. Um, so, yeah, it reflects that. Damien Callanan's double feature is on in the Malthouse Theatre in the Tower from the 11th to the 23rd of April. No shows on Mondays as part of this year's Melbourne International Comedy Festival. 6.45pm each night and 5.45pm on Sundays. A very civilised time indeed. For more info, jump online. Go to www.comedyfestival.com.au uh, or you can go to Damien's website, damiencallanan.com.au to find out where uh, he is now and where he's going next. So Nuke uh, is on, uh, what, tonight in Bendigo? Oh, no, Heathcote tonight. Yeah, Heathcote tonight. Heathcote tonight and then Bendigo. Bendigo yep. the next two nights. And uh, then onwards uh, around the state and up into New South Wales and down to Tasmania and uh, double feature, as we've said, at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and then also going on the road after the festival. But go to comedyfestival.com.au for more details and book to see Damien Callanan's double feature. Damien, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Richard. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the art, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. 
Hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.